Thanks so much for tuning in to Leesburg Daily, a Monday, Wednesday, Friday podcast where we dive into scripture, study together, and then we apply it to our lives. Today we pick up in John, I'm sorry, I'm John. We pick up in 1 Timothy chapter 4 today. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 4, uh, verse 6, and, he, and here's what's happened. In chapter, again, this has been a very practical book, laying out to Timothy how it is he should be pastoring and dealing with some conflicts uh, that he's going to be walking through. Um, we talked about what proper uh, uh, structure looks like. We talked about the type of people you put in leadership position. Um, uh, today, we pick up in verse uh, 6. And he's been pointing out, um, uh, he's been pointing out uh, how Timothy should deal with these situations. Uh, now he really begins to give practical uh, uh, advice to Timothy that really serve uh, even today uh, for for all ministers how to deal with these situations. He's been talking about what the situations are and and, and the godlessness of these false teachers. Um, what these false teachers are teaching. Now he te- deals with, okay, what do you do now, Timothy? What should you do as the pastor of this church? What should you do uh, in these situations? And it's, it's interesting here. Uh, it's more than just uh, a mere... Uh, rejection of these teachings watch this in verse 6 he says uh, previously he has talked about what these these men they they forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods and and he here's the, the issue paul says paul says god's created those things and if you uh if you discredit the creation you're discrediting the creator um everything should be received with gratitude for God and and it's how we you know in in our prayer and our thankfulness for these things as we thank God those things are sanctified it seems verse 6 and pointing out these things to the brethren so the assumption there is that Timothy the preacher is going to be pointing out these false teachings He's going to be very clearly uh, pointing them out, uh, uh, making them very clearly seen, not just uh, what these false teachings are, but why they are wrong. He says that in doing that, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished in the words of the faith. Interesting there, though, that can also be translated into the, in the truth of the faith, uh, which is interesting, the word truth and, 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 and words are often translated uh, in the same word. So, constantly nourished in the words of the faith or the truth of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. So, Paul says a, a good minister is not just going to point out these things, but he's going to be constantly nourished and nourishing based on the truth that we have, and that is the words. The, the words of Jesus, the teachings, the doctrine of Jesus, of which you have been following. So you'll be a good servant, you'll be a good minister, if you're pointing out to the brethren what's wrong and why it's wrong. In other words, we need to have the ability to point out and say why these things are wrong. The good minister of the gospel has a responsibility to lay before his people the positive answers to the negative doctrines. Uh, 
anyone who fails to respect uh, or f- fails in that respect forfeits the right to be counted as a, a, a worthy person of the ministry. We need to, we we need to be engaged in in these false teachings. That's why, for me personally, in the past several months, I've been very interested in the growing critical race theory narrative in our culture today. Because as we've talked about before, uh, the culture is like the uh, the wind that blows the waves. Uh, culture uh, moves us and leads really our our society. And so as that shifts into this critical race theory, I've been doubling down and f- figuring out and reading a lot about what this critical race theory is and how it intersects with faith and Christianity and the pitfalls that are found within. Um, it's an important thing. We need to be ready to give not just uh, uh, positive answers to the negative accusations or negative doctrines, um, uh, but also be able to, to to bring others up and nourish them in the truth. Look at the second part of that verse, verse 6. Constantly nourished in the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. See, there's a standard of which we have been uh, following, and that's the Bible. Uh, it's interesting there, the, the concluding phrase there that you have followed, the the verb there. The, the, the sound doctrine which you have been following, that that verb there suggests uh, as the meaning either that you've clearly investigated, or you've clearly followed as the standard. So so stick true to what you you know. You've clearly investigated it. You know it to be the standard. So stick to it. Stick to it. Verse seven. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. I think that's a funny phrase. Now, how in the world does that imply? Or, or what does? Why would Paul write that? Have nothing to do with worldly fables that only fit for old women. Well, it's it's interesting here. He says, have nothing to do with worldly fab- fables. See, that could also be translated. Uh, Profane fables. So it's a little more than just worldly fables, uh, secular stories, cultural stories. It's profane. That word there means uh, profane. It means uh, permitted to be to be trodden on, to to be walked over. You have nothing to do with worthless fables, profane fables. Only fit for old women. Again, why? Why old women? Well, it could be that he's uh, adding up to his contrast that's about to be uh, that's about to come out with with athleticism. So that's part of it. The other part is just truly the the picture of of old women sitting around gabbing, just wasting time, jabberjawn. Have nothing to do with this. Um, it's profanity, these profane fables, good for nothing, good to be trodden on fables, only fit for old women. On the other hand, here's the contrast, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself. So so how do we combat the false teachings? Uh, how do we uh, uh, 
com- combat this this wave of profane teaching. Well, here's the the positive injunction here. He turns to athletics for his illustration, and, and again, probably to emphasize the contrast between uh, exercise and old wives. You know, he's he's wanting to to to, to build a, a chasm there. There's a further comparison between physical and spiritual, uh, which is going to come out as well. He, he, he says, um, uh, "Discipline your, you, yourself for the practice of godliness," and then he, he he looks at it from a physical point and then from a spiritual point. Verse eight: For bodily discipline is only a little profit. That's interesting because there are other. You know, this is one of Paul's favorite. Uh, pictures of 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 Christianity is running the race is is being an athlete discipline he uses a lot of sport language but here he says it's of little profit uh, it, it's of it's little or slight uh, the, the the word there's uh, aglos which means very little which suggests that there's only a limited value for physical exercise but it's contrasted here with spiritual training, which, on the other hand, is value of all things. But godliness is profitable for all things. So there's a physical thing. What's the point of building physical discipline if spiritually you are dead? He says the body of discipline is little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds a promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So, so we understand that very clearly. Why is the spiritual discipline more important? It's because it not only impacts us today, but it impacts us forevermore in the life to come. Where, where our body will die, our soul will not. It, it is a trustworthy statement that deserving full acceptance. Now, verse 9 here is a very interesting verse because no one is really sure where verse 9 should fall. What is the trustworthy statement? Some have uh, argued that verse 9, it reads, it is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance. Uh, some argue that verse 9 uh, looks back to verse 8, and verse 8 is the trustworthy statement, which is, for the body discipline is only... Of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. It holds the present, the promise for the present life, and also for the life to come. Some argue that verse eight is that trustworthy statement. It's a creed, and this is again the, sev- the several times now Paul has used this phrase, introducing a commonly known teaching within the church. Some argue, and I think the best argument is for verse eight, but others at the same time. Um, Look at this verse 9 as describing verse 10. We don't know which. It could be verse 8 or verse 10. Um, but here we go. Verse 10 reads like this. For it, for it is, For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. 
Now, there's a lot that could be said about that. Uh, whether or not this is a trustworthy statement, you, you might say it is or it's not, and that's fine. It, one of the reasons I, 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 I don't see it as, as that statement is because it starts with four, um, uh, which, which grammatically in the Greek doesn't make a lot of sense. But whatever, whatever let's look at what it's saying there. For it is for this that we labor and strive. What have we labored and strived for? Because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men. Why do we work and build spiritual muscles? Why do we uh, uh, invest in godliness and, and spiritual discipline? It's because we have fixed our hope on the living God. Our hope is more than just trust. Our hope there is is an ongoing hope, a present active hope in the, in the very uh, moments of, of of the day, the hope that we have is uh, we we've put the idea as an ongoing and a certain hope. We, we've put our hope in the living God. Hmm, it's good. And so and so as we kind of wrap up for the day, let's let's think about this for a second. Paul tells Timothy the way you combat false teaching is to think it through, to point it out, and to combat the good, the, the, the bad teaching with positive teaching, that which you have held to, you have been following. And then he says you build spiritual muscles. That's how you, you, you combat the, the, uh, false teaching today. Build spiritual muscles. Build spiritual disciplines. The body discipline, bodily discipline, is only... For little profit, but godliness, which is spiritual discipline, is profitable for all things. It holds a promise for the present life, but also the life to come. It's a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance. For it is this we labor and strive. Well, what do we labor and strive for? We labor and strive for the life to come. We labor and strive. So that our spiritual connection can be with the Lord. We fix our hope in the living God. It's a constant, ongoing hope. God who is the Savior of all men, especially believers. I guess the last thing I'd point out, Paul says the Savior, God is the Savior of all men, which is interesting in Timothy because uh, generally he, he's talking about Jesus as the Savior. But, but here in this letter, he talks as God as Savior of all men. Uh, that Savior of all men should probably be understood as preserver of all men. Um, but nevertheless, when it's used in this sense, it would convey more than um, just providential care of God. In, in fact, it says here, the preserver or, or Savior of all men especially believers. So then the question some people have felt, you know, wrongly interpreted and used this text, that God, that all will be saved. Well, well, he says, especially believers. All are saved in the fact that salvation is available to them. But verse 10 here, it singles out believers in a special, a special objects of God's saving power. And suggests that the word Savior here is used in a double sense. 
See, there's a clear development in, in the thought since the believers have special confidence in God. It's reinforced by the mercy of the of the, His knowledge, and there's a there's a scope there of salvation for them. And then there's a salvation that's available for the world today. There's a salvation. There's a common grace that falls on believers and non-believers. The rain that waters our field is a is a common grace given to believers and and unbelievers alike. He's the preserver of all, certainly, but he's the savior of believers. And, and so as we wrap up today, I want to ask you, how are your spiritual muscles? H- how is that going for you? Do you have spiritual disciplines set in place uh, to help you to do that? The working and building muscles physically is a good thing. But we need to be aware of our hearts. We need to be aware of our spiritual muscles. And so that would be the encouragement today as we continue in this letter. Uh, Join me again Friday morning and we will dive into verse 11 and probably finish chapter 4. So join me again Friday. Thank you so much for listening to Leesburg Daily.